Our episode today is entitled Black Lady Courtroom. meeting with two wonderful black female attorneys as we discussed African-American women only representing 2% of all lawyers in the United States. The underrepresentation finds its way in every area of practice and with all of our clients. So we want to discuss what we can do to increase diversity and what led us to the practice of law. So without further ado, Hello, ladies. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for meeting with me today. So I am so happy to have you, Jocelyn Sandifer. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And Cherie Davis. Hello. Thank you. I'm, I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you. So how do you all know each other? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm, I really am trying to figure out how we met. And that I can't actually recall because right now I'm just thinking that someone kept telling me there's a new black girl that's a lawyer a couple of years ago. And I think that's kind of how all of our introductions started yeah. uh, mm -hmm. because we work in Southern Illinois and there are not that many of us that practice. And so I just kind of remember someone pointing her out and saying, hey, she's a lawyer. And I probably went up to her at some point and said, hey, you're a black lawyer. Because so that's, sure. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm pretty sure it went a little something like that. I'm pretty sure it went, <laughs> it went something like that. But now, Miss Davis is the newest attorney at Sandifer and Associates. So, um, you heard it here first at yes. Pearls and Politics Podcast. Yes. <laughs> See how things work that out. That is true. How things work how out. Things work so, um, like I said, I can't really remember how we met. But I know how we know each other now. Yes. Absolutely. And so I've known both of you, you the longest, Jocelyn, um, yes. obviously, over a decade now. And our friendship has just grown tremendously. And I appreciate you so very much. And you were just out here doing big things with Sandifer and Associates. And so tell us about that. Well, we um, are one of our taglines is lawyers that care. But ultimately, the brainchild behind Sandifer and Associates was to bring very vehement, strong, um, passionate representation to our clients, most specifically black folks, African-Americans, but most specifically, that's what our target audience is. We're, we look to educate our clients when and their families when they get in trouble. We, le we look to uh, equalize and balance the criminal justice system by providing the type of real representation that benefits our clients. And we also look to ensure that our clients received the best results possible. So that's what we're doing right now. We're a three-woman show. Attorney Belk is not here, but we're a three-woman show, and I like to say at this point, we're going to be presenting the trifecta yes. of legal representation yes. to our clients. I love it. 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 Trifecta. Yeah. Right? I love it. it that, 
this this <laughs> trifold can't. won't be easily yeah. broken. And so um, I love it. That's in short what we do. And I think I remember Cherie meeting you because you were in the juvenile courtroom. Um, As an assistant tra- state's attorney? Traffic and misdemeanor. Traffic and misdemeanor. Okay. Yes, yes. And so I just remember, I said, oh my goodness, there's a new, young, black female attorney in the state's attorney's office. But And you trans you transitioned to a number of courtrooms, right? Yes. And yes. you were in juvenile at one point. That's correct. And see, that's what I remember mm-hmm. most probably because of the juvenile connection yes. in that courtroom <laughs> at the time. My husband was um, the judge in that courtroom at that time. And so I think that's when we really got to know each other. And yes. he was very fond of your practice. So tell me why you all both decided to go into the practice of law. What made you say, you know what, I'm going to represent this 2%. <laughs> well... I didn't know that it was only 2% represented. Um, I think my introduction was kind of cliche, the whole, you know, you you argue a lot. You just don't know when, you know, when to back down. You would be a great attorney. Um, it kind of started there, and then seeing it on TV, it looked really exciting. Obviously, um, throughout the journey, it's, I realized it's, it's not, not that. <laughs> it's not that. It's not that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, uh, but really, uh, my passion was to... Um, be the liaison from the people who look like me and my community to the law. It's something that affects everyone. Um, and unfortunately, people in my community, we have a disadvantage because it affects us more often than not. Um, and we know very little about it. And so I wanted to stand in the gap, learn more and be able to, you know, help my community. So that's the passion that's driven me since then. And I would say that very similar to Cherie, I had an experience where people would say, you like to argue a lot. I attribute all of that to my second grade teacher, Ms. <laughs> Joyce Smith, if you're listening. Um, she said... Is that A.M. Jackson? A.M. Jackson. A.M. Jackson. A.M. Jackson, math and science B. academy. In St. Louis, Illinois. And I look at it as a self-fulfilling prophecy, but she yeah. said, Jocelyn, you like to talk so much, you should be a lawyer. I was eight years old. I didn't know what that <laughs> meant. But if I could be something that allowed me to talk and kept me from oppressive silence which is what I felt like second grade did, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, then yes, I wanted to do that. And obviously along the way, you do see that becoming an attorney is a lot more, but I like to say that I was just born into that role. I'm a big sister, I'm a big cousin, I'm a big a lot of things. And so (laughs) for that reason, I just feel like, and I mean, ultimately it's just been the grace of God, but I feel like he put me in a space where I was always advocating for people. I was yeah. always, you know, coming up with contracts. My very first protest, I think it was in the sixth grade. And um, we were, you know, marching against injustice that was happening in our gym class at the hands <laughs> of a very oppressive, we thought, uh, gym teacher. <laughs> And I had a very lovely principal, Mr. Eddie Jackson, who's now passed, that did not try to silence my righteous indignation, but brought me in and taught me my first lesson of politics by telling me that we were going to handle it in-house, which means he wasn't going to do anything. But I didn't know that. (laughs) I went back and told my constituents, Mm. we're going to handle this (laughs) in-house. And we did. And so all of these kind of experiences along the way helped to perpetuate the idea that I was meant to represent, meant to talk for people that couldn't speak as easily. Uh, But 
Yeah, it started off in a classroom with a little girl that talked too much when they still put disciplinary sections on your report card and told your parent what the issue was. And mine was always talking, talk, talk too much, talk too much. Well, my stories, uh, all of us obviously have three very different stories because I wanted to be an optometrist. I wanted to be an eye doctor. Don't, I can't even tell you now <laughs> why. Um, and so, and I always got really good grades. So, but law school changed all that. And so, well, and not even law school, let's go back to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where I went to um, undergrad. And so high school, junior high, elementary, great grades. And so I wanted to go into, you know, medicine and those grades sort of shifting. And I was like, what is this? Like, I, I don't understand what this is. And so I decided going into my super senior year of wow. college that I wasn't going to go to optometry school. I was, I'm going to law school. And I'll never forget the day I sat up in my bed in my apartment, a studio apartment in Urbana or Champaign. And I said, I'm going to go to law school. Oh, and wow. I called my dad who was now gone on. And I said, dad, I said, you know what? I'm not going to finish this pre-med biology with a minor in chemistry. Going into my super senior year, I said, I'm going to go to law school and I will never forget as long as I live. He said, I don't care if you major in basket weaving. I'm not paying no more rent after June. Mm. (laughs) And so I completed an entire major in two semesters and came out with my degree pre-law speech communication and had the nerve to finish on the dean's list. So I decided to go on to law school. I took a gap year, went on to law school and you know, the rest literally in many instances is history. And you know, for me, it's advocacy. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. And so I started out in public defense in one of the largest cities in the country. My first license to practice is in Indiana. And I was a member of the public defender agency there, which at that time was the third largest firm. So the Indiana Supreme Court did not play games about you only get so many cases and to make sure your representation is good. And so that's where I started. And my whole ministry was to change that public pretender Yes. That we are often called, yeah. you know, and I had so many clients who were like, I will never call someone a public pretender again wow. because you changed yeah. my view of advocacy for indigent people. And so the advocacy thing is something that I have carried with me, whether it was, you know, transitioning to the state's attorney's office, the circuit clerk's office, you all know, you know, what an advocate I was there. Right. And then, you know, even in my current position with the state agency. So my that was my that was my journey to the practice of law so well that's good so um let's see does representation matter we've already talked about that two percent of all lawyers out of a hundred percent in this country are african-american women even though as you stated sheree a large percentage of the people particularly on the criminal side of the law and in our prison system they're people of color. And so does representation matter? And I will say that 3% are African-American men. So total, we make 5%. Um, (laughs) But does representation really matter? Does representation for our 
community has to also be about education. You don't know if you're getting a good result unless you know about the process. So when we have attorneys that are working and I do criminal law, we, we practice criminal law primarily, we focus on serious felonies. And when we have clients who are excited or tell us about past representations and they have, they got probation and they're like, that was a good disposition. And I'm like, that might have been, it may have been a lazy disposition, right? It just really depends on the circumstances. And depending upon what happened, who you are, when it was. The case, what we call the case That's by case right. basis. But case Nothing by case. Nothing cookie cutter about it. Nothing cookie cutter about it. And so, yes, representation matters because then I also feel the second component of that is connectivity. You feel a connectivity with people that look like you, sound like you, talk like you, walk yes. like you from your city, like yes. Snoops. We were just talking about lefties before. This man <laughs> told me they got some of the best rice on this side of heaven. Exactly. Okay, I, I'll, I'll be there. Okay. Okay. I'll be so, with you. <laughs> these communicative conversations can only happen with people who identify with some aspect of your life and it doesn't necessarily come down just to race it comes down to your geographical location mm -hmm. and it comes down to that corner of southern illinois and east st louis where you live that is not st louis it's not in missouri it is yeah. in yes. illinois east st louis east illinois so, so louis many illinois. how many have times have illinois. all of us been somewhere off illinois. of college off at of law school yeah off on vacation and somebody's like oh East St. Louis, no, 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 no. No, mm -mm. no we are so East St. Louis. Yes. We're so, okay, so East St. Louis. Louis. Yeah. Yes. So all of those things matter. I mean, I had a, a potential that called and they were explaining something to me. And they said, oh, well, it's off of King. They said the a word Kings Highway, which is the street in East St. Louis. And I said, oh, before or after the Orange Rice House. And she said, oh. You from East St. Louis? Yes, ma'am. Yes, Don't let none of this fool you. Don't let none of this fool you. <laughs> Don't let the degree okay. fool you. The heel, nothing. Don't, Don't let, let it. Yeah, that's no. the icing. That that's yeah. the that's the icing on the cake. So yeah. it it helps then for us to we feel then impassioned. Yeah. I can identify with a circumstance when it resonates with me, and I don't necessarily think that white attorneys or other minority or other attorneys in the law are not trying to represent their clients Precisely. well. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's the case, but there it when you feel a connectivity, when you can understand when a 6 foot 3 guy walks in, it's like, okay, that could be my brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not maybe something that I would say if we had other connectivities. I'm looking at the obvious features of this person that put me in a position where I feel like I want to do the best I can. So yes, representation matters. And I'll just say this last thing on the flip side, without having representation, you don't have other voices. Yep. And I think from my experiences in the state's attorney's office, that made it ever more apparent that voices need to be there. I mean, we're talking about one 
area of law, criminal law. We're not talking about probate. We're not talking about intellectual property. We're not talking about business. We're not talking about, you know, aeronautical or entertainment. You know, there's so many other aspects, but being in the pub, um, being in the prosecutor's office just allowed me to see that people's experiences really have a lot to do with the way they see justice mm -hmm. and believe that justice should be dispensed. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have another voice there, then people are going to believe that their voices are right. And it's not always because they're inherently racist or because they're bad. It's because they've never heard another voice, another point of view, another perspective. And so, yes, representation in every aspect matters because it lends itself to multiple voices. And a perfect example of that when I did my time as an assistant state's attorney. So that was a huge transition for me because you all both know public defense, that's my jam, that's my thing. You know, um, prior to his time on the bench, my husband was an assistant state's attorney. So when we were dating and married and even to, you know, I'm like, no, defense is the gatekeeper. No, it's not. No, right. prosecute, no, no, we're the, so there's that back and forth. And so, but I came back home to St. Clair County because I had lost my late husband and I moved back with my, my mom and my, and our son. And I needed to do what I needed to do yeah. in order to mm -hmm. keep food on the table. And so, and I tell people all the time, there's absolutely a space for all of it, yes, for judges, right. for absolutely. police officers, for state's attorneys, for defense counsel, because if not, we're in a lawless society, right? That's right? I said, we don't want, you know, somebody just being able to knock grandma in the head and there's no consequence. Like, that's not okay. Right. So, but what I was able to do, I know that there there's a disconnect between mm -hmm. the African-American community and law enforcement and oh, the criminal yeah. justice system. And so... And sometimes rightfully so, sometimes it's not always. I'm like, no, that is not, no, don't say that again. That, right. <laughs> that's not how that, you know, but people again have their own perspective based right. on their life experience. And so when I came, I said, well, you know what, what can I do to help bridge that gap between my hometown of East St. Louis and the criminal justice system, which is a, it, it can be in many ways a really good system. And so that's when I started Clean Slate Day. Yeah. And I that started that. years ago, but that was me saying to then State Attorney Hayda, how about we come, we have this day where we quash warrants and we have it at a house of faith. So again, people of color are like, oh, it's down at Pastor Granger's church. Right. Oh, no, they're not going to jump out and take us away and do, you know, and so it builds they, trust. They, right. They were yeah. skeptical. They, oh, you that, were, yes, the, the they were absolutely first, skeptical. The but very first clean slate was the hottest day of the year. Oh. <laughs> we were like, that will never happen again. And they got better and better till they, they were did. literally on autopilot yeah. by the time um, it, it continued to go. But the point was, again, there's that representation. Somebody from East St. Louis. That wasn't about race or gender, but someone from East St. Louis. And then it expounds into a, a caring woman. It expounds into a person of color that wants to be a, that wants to be a bridge and wants to have a bridge because we want people to trust and to be able to say, "Hey, well, you know that murder or whatever that happened. Like, 
you know, I can trust to come and say something right. or trust to know that, okay, well, we'll do better next time or come up with community watches, whatever we need to do. And so it just turned into literally thousands and thousands of people over 10 years having their warrants quashed, having, you know, a second chance. You know, they didn't want to ride the bus. They didn't want to drive their That's cars. Right. Yeah. They didn't want to apply for jobs. Like they didn't want to do anything. And so it gave an entire community of people to the tens of thousands in numbers, an opportunity, but it took representation. Just yeah. to even suggest it, right? Mm -hmm. To be a different voice. Mm -hmm. Because who would think? I had an experience when I was working at the state's attorney's office at the time, and it was in traffic and misdemeanor. And one of my colleagues, we had we would always have people that would come in with habitual problems, cyclical problems between, uh -huh. <laughs> you know what they are, no license, suspended license, no insurance, remote license, SR twenty two insurance, issue, yes. you know to say all of these issues of that. that come up, and someone said, just well, stacking. I just just stacking, stacking five warrants, yeah, all of that, and it was just like, well, I just don't understand why they won't get insurance. I do. How much is insurance? Two hundred and fifty dollars. If if you if they you have, have mandatory it, insurance now, SR SR twenty two. So if you have to get it's super expensive, <laughs> super exactly. expensive insurance yes. versus food for your child, mm -hmm. super expensive insurance versus gas now five plus six dollars, dollars six yeah. dollars in my vehicle. So yeah, these choices aren't easy choices. If mm -hmm. you have extra money to float. Mm -hmm. then yeah I, people want to follow the law by and large right yes. I, I mean at least it's my fundamental belief, belief. yes and we're gonna people, hold, we gonna stick with that gonna that's stick our story that. and we sticking, we to, sticking it. That's to it that's right that people are fundamentally fundamentally and inherently good and they want to follow the law but if i don't have anybody else to pick my child up from school at three o'clock and i have a revoked license yeah i'm I'm sorry. I'm going I, to get, my, going child. To get my child. What I I was charged with this child, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get this yeah. child. So I'm going to get food. I'm Close. going to. Yes. I'm, I'm going to do I'm gonna keep the lights on and the water running. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to do all of these things, and if I have money left over, I might get insurance, or I might go get my toes done because my feet hurt, and I have been on my feet <laughs> for the last fifty. You know, I mean, just I'm working I, three jobs, even though my license is suspended. Yeah. It, it's like you said, it's, it's cyclical. It's cyclical. And let's so, be honest, though. Yeah. Once you get one or two tickets, these are small towns. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time before another one's coming. They might just be checking in. They may just be checking in, right? <laughs> just checking in. I'm just making sure that you haven't finished with the last license. Or the As last a matter of fact, ticket. I haven't. See in court. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, but just suggesting to my colleague, that there were other reasons why a person might not have their insurance outside of a blatant disrespect for the law mm -hmm. was yes. eye-opening. Mm -hmm. It's a voice. That's yeah. representation. Exactly. Right? That, that's representation, and that's why it matters. I think so, the only thing that I would add is just um, when you say bridge, like, like I started this to be a bridge, right? And so... It's and that, that you have been. It's that space between what we know to be true or what we 
think to be true about the law and how we feel about the law. Mm-hmm. Like you always have to keep that in mind because yes, there is a structure to it, but it is an experience. So that's why even if I say nothing and I'm sitting on the side of the table with the prosecutors, they still lean in and would say, are you here to represent me? Or are you with them? You know, like, it's still like, I'm not really sure because maybe I don't understand how it works, but mm-hmm. your presence brings me a level of comfort. That's right. I can ask the question, but then I'm also knowing, okay, they're probably uncomfortable because most times they are. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to, well, hello, look at the side of the table. Is bridging that gap to mm-hmm. to to kind of change the narrative with the experience because yes, I may have never been in a courtroom before, but I I, ha- I think I have an idea of how people who look like me are treated in the courtroom, and so when I show up, I don't know what this lady who doesn't look like me is going to say to me or how she's going to treat me, mm-hmm. and so we we're faced with that every single day, and I think the bridge again is I get to leverage my position to be able to offer another explanation to something you thought you had an understanding about. Correct. Why can't they just get insurance? Well, let me break it down to you. Thank you for asking the question. Thank I you. have an opportunity to share. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So as we talk about representation and why it matters and all the other things that go along with it, um, we operate in a space, like we keep saying, that we are in the 2%. So what... In your time as attorneys, have you found to be the biggest hindrance for you in the practice of law? We only pick one. Okay. Ah. Um, what they say on TikTok? I'll go first. Yes. Do. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, wow. Okay. Um, I think it's this. This question is complicated because we're kind of like a double minority, and so to try to separate the two, so you know, we're black women. And so it's just, when I, when I think about it, I, I got to separate the two, right? But I think um, one major thing is that I'm not representing myself, only myself, um, when I show up and when I speak and in the work that I do. And that's a lot of pressure. And so- To be um, twice as good. Twice as good. We've already had that conversation. So yes, and yeah, it's- It's a lot of pressure. And then- you know, especially uh, when you want to operate in excellence naturally anyway, when you don't feel like you've done your best, it's not just I didn't do my best. It's like, dang, what door did I close for someone else because I didn't show up or I felt like I didn't show up, right? Mm -hmm. But I have many other responsibilities. You know, the way in which my life is unfolding, you know, unique to my situation because I am a double minority, I may not want to share that. I could be drowning silently because of the pressure of just showing up and being excellent because I'm creating a path for someone else. Um, And then the other thing is just, you know, black don't crack. And so it doesn't matter how old I am. (laughs) I look like a little young, little baby girl lawyer. And it's just like, girl, who are you here to represent? You know, are are you the defendant or the secretary? Who are you? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's always so... (laughs) That is the perpetual My black goodness. female attorney syndrome. Yes. Are you the defendant? Yes. Are you the secretary? Are you the paralegal? So many times. And now, after and you've built a represent, after you've built a reputation, obviously, and it you changes. work in a community where people know you, it gets better. But having to go to a different county or a different state and operate in that space. And 
the first assumption is not that you're the lawyer in the room. Right. Yeah. And so that is draining. So I've been there. I think now it's not so much um, feeling the pressure to be twice as good. It's the idea that I'm not as. And that actually bothers me now. Mm-hmm. But I'm not as good. Mm-hmm. Google me. No. <laughs> say it again. Okay. Lean in and say Google me. There we go. Now, um, so it's the ideology now because I've I've worked all of these years to establish a certain reputa- reputation to mm-hmm. be viewed a certain way by the legal community, by judges, by those in state court and federal court. And your clients. And my yeah. clients. And because we struggle with that from time to time. Absolutely. And the assumption that you're not as good that I'm not as some of your counterparts as some of my counterparts. And in our business of getting new clients, it is about what you can do and trying to dispel this myth that if I have black counsel, that in some way it, it's not enough. Yeah. That if I go in with this black mm-hmm. lawyer, when when I don't get the result, I should have known. I should have gone with X, Y, Z. I should. This it is a sting. Yeah, like, like none, none other. other. It's a sting because you work so hard to be distinguished, and you have these accolades, and you have these circumstances where people have articulated and not only suggested, but verified that you the real deal. Yeah. And as soon as things aren't quite the way they wanted them to be, I knew I should have. That's good. Yeah. And and that I knew I should have is a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. And then mm-hmm. we have to keep our professionalism. And I'm like, but bruh, offer me St. Louis stuff. <laughs> And, you know, and I, you got to keep, but you, you have do. to keep that tucked, you know, and just say, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that way. You know, you can't just go literally tear the club up and think that there's not going to be any consequences consequence for your behavior. Absolutely. For your behavior. There's only so much that we can do. And we do get extraordinary results. But back to that idea that it's case by case. Yes. It's whether or not the officers did their job, it's whether or not the prosecutor has filed the appropriate charges, whether or not their circumstances are matters that should be suppressed, whether or not we have things to work with, your history and also the thing that you did. And sometimes the thing that you did catapults you out of a category of being able to get the type of result that you feel like you should. It completely squashes your mitigation. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and so that's the issue. Yeah, when and I think generally the only way we agree with that is with murder, right? If a person in our community, right, if somebody shoots someone and they get time in prison, everybody like, all right, okay, right, yeah. I guess so, I somebody. guess so, they kill somebody. Mm-hmm. But if I do anything short of killing somebody, how come I'm going to prison? <laughs> you know, how come I'm sitting down? And so it doesn't it doesn't really work like that. Right. And so. Um, that that's a challenge though i think when 
like I said, I, I stopped taking my ancestors with me. Uh, you know, I, I'm not doing everything I do is not necessarily a referendum on the entire black community. I do think that it takes time. It takes practice. It takes building your own reputation to feel insulated from that because people start seeing you as an individual. Yeah. But the thing that is hard now is this idea that maybe you're not as good. Because we operate in this space where we're taking on serious cases now and federal cases and RICO cases and all, you know, all of these com more complex cases. And when people start putting their money down and you know all of these things, they're like, you know, ugh. when they don't get the result that they mm -hmm. want. And well, I, that lets me know yeah. the, the last question that we had. And so you just said... RICO cases and murder cases and things. So your practice is criminal defense mm -hmm. and briefly, what other topics or areas do you cover? So we do criminal defense. I tell everybody from misdemeanor to murder. Okay. Um, but we do personal injury as well. We kind of uh, focus on slip and fall cases and uh, car accident rear end cases. And we do some workers comp and... I'll say family, but I don't want y'all calling about a lot of family cases. Those have been more complicated since COVID, uh, but we do handle um, yeah. our fair share of family cases as awesome. well. So I have a gift for each of you Ooh. as we close under, so reach Gifts. under the table. There's a bag on either side oh, oh. for you all being um, on the first episode of Pearls and Politics Podcast. You saw this fancy paper. Oh, I feel it. Like oh. Ah. <laughs> and lastly, so the question of the hour is always, will you come back? I don't know. I hope I have mine still together because I plan on wearing these. Know, right? That is awesome. Well, These thank you so much, ladies, for being on Black Lady Courtroom. You all are awesome. You all are amazing. And so we are just so thankful that you would come on and be with us today. And we cannot wait to have you back to talk about all things from criminal to civil, how to handle yourself, the process. We want people to understand the process. We want people to have a better understanding so that way they can make more informed decisions and then that way they can operate through the uh, through the system the way that they should. So thank you so much.